0: We've been talking about this boxing series and last week told you the story um, about a famous boxer and closing out the series, we're gonna talk about a few more of them. You talked about how boxing seems to be like a little bit shady. And um, I showed the video on Wednesday night. It was like a a montage video. We didn't say the whole thing, but you remember in 1997, do you remember the famous Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield fight? I mean, we were around for it. The kids didn't, but they, they knew about it. When in the midst of the fight, Mike Tyson, who's kind of on the downside of his career, and it's the, the super fight everybody's been waiting for, and he's losing. And if you don't remember what happened, he, he leans in and they clinch up, and he bites Evander Holyfield's ear. Like, like, and Holyfield kind of pulls back, and, and the, uh, the referee's trying to figure out what's happened, and Holyfield's saying, he, he bit me on the ear. And they continue the fight, and then they lean in again, and that was when Tyson not only bit his ear, Bit it off. I mean, a, a piece of it. Now, you remember that national news? You know, that's um, that's interesting. I'm reading some other things in two thousand three, Sugar Shane Mosley was fighting Antonio Margarito, and. And it was another one of these boxing controversies. I don't know what caused it to happen, but Mosley's trainers walked into Margarito's training room uh, while he was getting his hands wrapped. I think they were suspicious. And as they were wrapping his hands, the opposing trainer looked and discovered it was never for sure, but what looked like plaster of Paris sprinkled in and all around the tape as he was wrapping his gloves. And what would happen with that plaster of Paris, once his hands went into the gloves and his body starting, started sweating, the sweat would mix with the plaster, the plaster of Paris and you had boxing gloves with like concrete inside, you know, and uh, they didn't know if it was true or not, but they knew that he had just beaten uh, Kato, a boxer, and just pummeled him. And in the rematch, um, after they knew to check his gloves and stuff, Margarito lost big time too. So probably mixing plaster of Paris into his gloves to, to win a fight. There's also the story in uh, 1983, uh, Billy Collins and Luis Resto, and it was a famous thing too. Uh, Billy Collins was an up and coming boxer and Luis Resto was, I mean, he wasn't even a name and he just beats the fire out of Billy Collins. And afterwards they found out that his trainers had gone into Resto's gloves and cut out all the padding. And so when he was fighting, he was fighting with no pads. Uh, he, actually, he and his trainer actually uh, got arrested, spent time in prison for that, for assault and battery. And then they were banned from boxing from life. You know, you have these stories of, of people cheating to try to win. I thought it was funny too, because Sugar Shane Mosley, the guy who, who found out the guy that had the plaster of Paris on his gloves, you know, four years later, he admits to using steroids. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's just like crooked all the way through. You know, what are those guys, those four guys... Tyson, Mosley, those, what do they have in common? I think we would easily say they were were cheaters, right? I mean, they, they definitely have that in common. They were trying to look for a leg up. But on the flip side of that, while they were cheaters and that's not okay, they had something else in common that they share in common with us. They wanted to win they wanted to win really, really, really bad. Uh, so bad that they made some decisions that weren't right, but they wanted to win, and we're like that. Uh, and I'm not saying you're going, you're going to cheat, but every one of us in here, I mean, we want, we want to have a good future, right? I mean, we're, right now you're working and you've probably, you know, a lot of you in the last month or two, you've gone back and, and checked your retirement plan. See, where are we at? Because I'm thinking about my future, because I, I want to retire one day and be successful. You're in here, probably, because you want to build a great family. You want to have kids who are, are spiritually mature, but if we were really honest too, if we were sitting around in small groups and and I don't I'm not shaming you, I feel the same way, we'd also want our kids to be successful, right? I mean, you want to, I mean, you want your kids to go to college, you want them to, to have a career one day, uh, especially if you looked at your retirement last month and it's not doing real well, then all the more so you want them to be doing well so they can take care of you. you know, if you're a business owner, you wanna build a business, we, we wanna win, we wanna succeed. Some people would even say that, that that is actually the image of God inside of us, that God is creator. You know, as creator God builds and, and he makes and he moves things forward. And, and some people would suggest that inside of us, you know, we, we have that, that we're, we're drawn to that. But when we have those moments in our life where we're trying to move along the way, invariably what happens is we'll get confronted with the opportunity for a shortcut. You're going to have some time where where you're, I'm I'm trying to go here. I'm trying to build my business. I'm trying to do whatever it is. And Satan, because this is the way he works. And we're going to see this in a minute as we look at the scripture. Satan is known for trying to provide the shortcut to us. He he wants to get us to think, you know what? I'm going to step up here. So if anybody needs these chairs, you can come down. I won't be standing on top of you. He he would say, man, this is great. But you know what? There's, There's an easier way to do it. There's a better way. In fact, there's a way you could get from A to B. You can accomplish your goals. You can accomplish your dreams. You can accomplish all the plans. Some of those plans, goals, and dreams are the things that God has, has like etched onto your heart. They were his goals, plans, and dreams for you. They're not bad. And Satan has said to us, you know what? Go after those things, but there's an easier way. You don't, you don't have to take the hard way. You don't have to go through the pain. And we have these shortcuts. I'll give you an example. Uh, from the pastoral world. And had a guy that I knew that was a pastor and his his goal, his dream was to be president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't know why anybody would wish that on themselves, but that was his, his goal and dream of what, what he wanted. Um, and, and so he was making decisions to work that way. And we would say, that's not a bad goal or dream. Like I said, it's not for me, but not a bad goal or dream. Something that you know would be a, a great thing on a resume, something as a life goal. Hey, I, I accomplished this. But in talking with one of his friends one day and talking about this dream, he started talking about all the things I have to do. I need to, I'm going to have to, as a church, i are going to build a building because they're going to want to see that I can build. I'm going to have to write a book because everybody before me has written a book. And then he looked at one of his friends, one of his close confidants, and he said this. He said, you know, I want to do all that, but I'm going to be honest with you. The home life isn't really good. Says that to his friend. And he says, my marriage right now is on the brink. But here's how the temptation sneaks in. His next response was this. This is a guy who loves God. He's a pastor, but temptation sinks in. He looked at his friend and he said about his marriage, but sometimes you have to sacrifice things to go where you wanna go. And and, and his friend just looks at him like, are you listening to what you're saying? Are are, Are you hearing what you're saying? And he wasn't. Because the tempter had come in and had begun to convince him that there was a shortcut, that there were some ways to where you wanted to go that were a little bit easier, that that you don't have to worry about your marriage right now and work on it because you can set that to the side for now to go after your dreams. And and that's what what the devil does over and over again. He convinces us that that I can take take my spiritual journey and I can set it aside temporarily. I, I can... I can make a decision and say, you know what? I'm going to do this my way rather than God's way. I'm not gonna become an atheist. I'm just, I'm just gonna take what I know is right for now. I'm just gonna set it to the side just for a moment. I'm not walking away from my faith. I'm not gonna quit going to church. But in this moment, I've gotta make this decision. And, and, and we, we start to rationalize to ourselves, you know what? This is the way the world works. You can't be successful you can't, and do it always the right way. That's just the world is broken that way. And so, so I'm gonna have to do the world, play the world's game the world's way. I'm not walking on my faith. I'm just setting it aside temporarily and I'm gonna come back to it and everything will be okay. And that's the third temptation we're gonna see. You can turn over to Matthew four and we're gonna look and, and see what Jesus says. And as you're flipping there, and we'll review it in a second, I, I want us to understand this. Taking a shortcut, doing it our way, the easy way rather than God's way can have disastrous consequences. You know, in 2011, I'm sorry, in 2000, uh, there was a Russian submarine uh, that was out in the, in the Barents Sea and it was a nuclear submarine. It was way below the surface and it had an internal explosion. And it wasn't, it was just kind of a, a it wasn't something somebody did that I don't know of. I mean, it just had a, an explosion and uh, it disabled the submarine below that icy sea tragic moment, bad things are gonna happen, but built into the submarine's system was an escape device in the back that was a life-saving flotation device that could, that could take up to 23 people. And so they did what they were supposed to do. The explosion happens and people are trying to, to fix the sub, but the people in the back of the submarine knew if something like that happens, we go to the flotation device and go to safety. So these 23 guys who can be saved out of the 118 get in the flotation device and it won't launch from the submarine and all 118 Russian Navy men perish. And after they did the investigation and trying to figure out what happened, here's what they discovered. That submarine before it was commissioned was behind on its schedule. And people were pushing, pushing, pushing. We've got to get it out. We've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. And in the pressure of time and in the pressure of being a success and success would have been determined by this coming in under budget and this being done on time, They took some shortcuts and they had missed some critical things that had, that were connected to that flotation device. It was something that could have been avoided, but some shortcuts happened and people lost their life. Shortcuts, while they seem like we're just going to take God's plan and just, or what God's calls to do and just kind of set aside temporarily, I'm going to go do my own thing, have devastating consequences. And in Matthew chapter four, during this, this third temptation, Jesus is, is tempted with that. He's tempted to pursue the right thing, but to do it the wrong way. I'm gonna go back and read us from the very beginning of the temptations. I know we've read over the last couple of weeks, but I want us to get the full picture of what's happening here. So look at Matthew chapter four, verse one. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And that was the first temptation. We talked about that two weeks ago. Chris Washington led us through that. The first temptation was, was to meet his physical need. And Jesus was hungry, 40 days without food. If you can imagine, you know I mean? Most of us, most of us don't go like four hours without food, but 40 days without food, Jesus is hungry and, and he's in the wilderness. And the first temptation, Satan says, hey, use your power, provide for yourself. Turn this stone into bread. And what Jesus knew, and we talked about this, was that when we're faced with temptation, there's more to it than just the temptation. Our faith in God is at stake. And Jesus had to make a decision. Do Do I trust God to provide or do I do it on my own? And that was the first temptation. And Jesus responded, he said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, and he quotes Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Temptation too, we talked about last week. It's what our students are, are discussing in their small groups. It was this idea that, that we get up and we, we think we understand how God works. So we try to work God. And, and we, we try to manipulate God rather than, rather than cooperate with him. And Satan's trying that. Satan's going, well, this is how God works. Look, it says it here in the Bible. And Jesus said in verse seven, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we come to verse eight, the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. We're talking about how Satan tempts us to do the right thing the wrong way. And the temptation here to Jesus, he's, he's up on this mountain and he says, look, look at all the kingdoms. Look at the people, the people that you love. The people, this kingdom could be yours. And that is the right thing. Jesus was going to come, die on the cross. He was going to take the keys of the kingdom back from Satan. And he was going to start the restoration of the world. That was what Jesus was inevitably going to do. But Satan's trying to get him to do it the wrong way. He's trying to take the shortcut. And so they're up on this mountain and they see everything. And and, and Satan's kind of leaning in and going, Jesus, look at these people. And you can have the authority. You can have the power and you can do some great things. And they're up on the mountains. All you've got to do. All you've got to do is just bow down to me. It's all you got to do. There's nobody around. Nobody's even going to see it, Jesus. I mean, just if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you every 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 piece of the kingdom I've got my hand in. No one's gonna see it. No one's gonna know. It's just temporary. You're 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 gonna get back up after you bow down, and you're gonna go and you're gonna do this thing, and it's gonna be so much easier. Because Jesus, you know, you know, you're gonna go down and you're gonna, I mean, you're gonna be sleeping outside. You're gonna tell people when they go, hey, we wanna travel with you. You're gonna say, hey, the son of man's got no place to, to lay his head. You're not gonna really have a base of operation for the next several years. You're just gonna, you're gonna travel everywhere and, and, and you're not gonna be with your family. It's gonna be hard, but you could do it in an easy way. If you'll just bow down, nobody around, temporary thing, I'll give it to you, it will be so much easier. And you know, Jesus, the authority that, that you want, the kingdom that you want, you can have it without going to the cross. You can have it without be- betrayal by your friends. You don't have to have, you don't have to have nails driven through your wrists. You're not gonna have to be beaten. You're not gonna have to take a crown of thorns and, and push down on your head. There's an easy way. And all you have to do is do it my way. It's a shortcut. It's really simple. Well, you have to imagine that at that time, there had to be a strong temptation. Jesus in his humanity, he was fully human and yet fully God at the same time. That's hard for our mind to understand, but he was tempted in every way that we were and he understood and felt that. But Jesus knew that there was a right thing that could be done the wrong way. There's a comedian, his name's Emo Phillips and in his jokes, he kind of, gives us a picture of this. He said, you know, when I was younger, I used to pray all the time. I'd pray that God would bring me a bike. You know, this is as a young man, young kid. He said, I'd pray, God, please bring me a bike. And I "I want a new bike. He said, night and day, I would pray. And every night as I go to bed, pray. And I'd give the next morning, no bike. As my birthday or Christmas came around, I, I would pray even harder, God bring me a bike. He said, and then I realized that in the wisdom of God, God doesn't necessarily work that way. That's not how God works he said, so I stole a bike and started praying for forgiveness because that's the way God works, you know? And, uh, it's that the the is not, not the bad thing. The bike can be the right thing, but you go about it the wrong way. And, and we're in that all the time. And so we, we convince ourselves, just this one time, I'm gonna take a shortcut. The temptations in front of me, just this, just this one time. We've already, we've already established that just one time can have disastrous consequences. But let's be really honest. Because we've been there. Everybody in this room has had this conversation just this one time. How often does just this one time become just one more time? Right? Just this one time, God, just this one Because again, I got to do it because this is the way the world works. I can't get that promotion unless I do this because that's, that's, that's just the way the system is set up, God, and you understand and you're the God of forgiveness. So instead of doing it your way just this one time, I'm going to do it my way. Just this one time, I'm gonna compromise. And we know what happens is after we've stepped in and done it just this one time, that Satan has the hook in and he starts to reel us in and the next temptation comes. And now all of a sudden, we've not, we've taken our confidence, our faith out of God providing, and we've put it in ourselves. That's what happened with just this one time. God, I've gotta do it this way. You're not going to be able to put me where you need me to be. God, my confidence in you is rocky because I don't think you're really gonna show up. God, I don't think that your plan, me being faithful and obedient is going to work out for you or I, God. So I'm gonna take my confidence out of you and just this one time, I'm gonna put my confidence in me and go and do it. And then we're successful in that and the temptation comes again and we're at just this one time and all of a sudden we go, well, God, you, you, it's really hard to see you moving. God, it's really hard to see you show up. But you know what? I I know, I already know because I've proven it that if I do this on my own, if I put confidence in myself, I can be successful. And Satan starts reeling it in. He's already got us hooked. We've already lost our confidence in God's provision and what God's called us to do. And we put our confidence in ourselves. and just this one time becomes just one more time. And all of a sudden we're caught in habitual sin. We're caught in a pattern of living that says, God, I don't need you. God, I can, I can do it my own way. And our confidence has moved from God to self. And we go back to Matthew chapter four and that's where, that's where Jesus is standing. Just this one time, Dow down. God's plan, Jesus, do you really think your father's plan is gonna work? I mean, let's, let's take a step back and look. You've been without food for 40 days. How's that going for you? How are you feeling about God's plan for your life right now? You're you're starving to death. Look around you. Where are your friends? Where's your family? You're the son of God. You're out here all alone in the middle of the wilderness. (laughs) It's just you and me, buddy. You sure you want to put your confidence in God, the Father? You sure you don't want to do this in an easier way? That's where Jesus is at. And Jesus does in temptation number three, what he does in the previous two temptations. He leans back into what he knows. He leans back into that Old Testament scripture. Remember Jesus, in Jesus' day, there was no New Testament. It was being developed. It was was life happening at the same time. He couldn't go back and go, well, what does John say about me? John hadn't said anything about him. At this point, John's not even in the picture with Jesus. And so he's, 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 Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's got the Old Testament. And he goes back to the Old Testament for the third time. And he goes back and he reflects on what God the Father did. And Jesus takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter six. You can flip there if you want Deuteronomy chapter six. If not, I'll I'll read it to you. We're not gonna be here that long. He goes back to the time where the the Israelites are about to enter in the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness. They've come out of Egyptian slavery. They're kind of moving into this glorious moment. and, And Moses is having this conversation with them. And he's saying, hey, remember what God has done for you. And here's what he says in chapter six, verse 10. And when the Lord, your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in verse 13, he says this, it is the Lord, your God, you shall fear. It is the Lord, your God, you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name, you shall swear. And so Jesus finds himself up there and the, and the, temp, the tempter's there and, and Satan's going, man, just this one time. And Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord, your God fear, that's what, it's coming from Deuteronomy 6, when he says you should fear God, that's what it means, it's the same thing. You shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve and only shall you, him shall you serve. In this moment, Jesus says, listen, I can't bow down to you because it's not about you, it's not about me. It's not about confidence in my flesh, it's confidence in God the Father. And, and, and I know from the history of my people that the Father has already said, not to worship or serve anything but him. My confidence, my faith, my journey is God's way. I'm not going to do the right thing in the wrong way. And in that, in that, in that response, we see several things I want us to finish out today. And we see some real tools that we can use to help us overcome temptation. Because you know, temptation comes in so many different forms. For, for some of us, for some of our students that are down there, this weekend, next weekend, they're gonna be tempted by a group of friends that go, hey, we, we want you to be accepted. We want to be, and so we're having this alcohol party. Come, you know, there's gonna be beer. There's gonna be all kinds of stuff Come, and, and your students are gonna have this desire to go, you know, I, I just wanna be accepted and I'm gonna go. For most of us in here, uh, we're, we're kind of past that. You know, I mean, for most of not everybody, but for most of us, we don't have friends going, you really want to come do this with us? You really want to be accepted? Because we're like, I'm too tired to be accepted. You know, really? I just want to sit on my couch. I don't, even, I don't really care if I have any friends at this point in my life. If my remote control works and I don't have to change the batteries out, woo! check that off to a good lot. You know, so Satan tempts in different ways. And so for a teenager, it's something that for most of us, we'd go, why, why is that a big deal? But, but he gets us subtly, like we talked about last week. You know, he, he, he talks us into trying to manipulate God to what we think he wants. Or this, he tempts us into taking the shortcut. We see the goal and we go, hey, I wanna do that. This is a real, real illustration. Or, or not even real illustration. Or situation. Every one of us in here knows if you, well, if you've been here for at least a couple of times, you should know, I hope I've communicated this, that you're the youth ministers of your kids. It's not me. It's not Marshall. It's not Kathleen. God has called you to be the spiritual leader, the primary discipler of your teenagers in your home. We're just, we're just here to assist you. That's why we do, that's why we have this conversation today and we'll have the same conversation with your teenagers on Wednesday night, minus this little part, because they're not parents. Um, so, so that you can, you can take this home. That's why we give you a yap with questions so you can start having faith conversations at home and start letting the Holy Spirit move inside your home and not just on Wednesday nights and Sunday. I mean, we, we know that that we're supposed to be the spiritual disciples, but let's be really honest, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to even find time to have a conversation because we're all so busy. Rarely do we get to sit around the dinner table like like families used to, It's, it's difficult. And then we have those moments where we have an opportunity to have a faith conversation, but it comes on the heels of a big fight. Kids are yelling, they're mad at you, they're slamming doors, and that's not the time you wanna walk in and go, hey, let's talk about what we've been talking about on Wednesdays and Sundays, right? I mean, you're, if you're really honest, you're like, I don't even really wanna to talk to them right now. When do they move out? You know, three more years? Can they get on an accelerated track, you know, and graduate early? I mean, and then we have one of those great moments. It's in the car and things are going well, and maybe the Spirit of God goes, hey, great moment. Faith conversation, open up that yap and have it. But, but there's still this fear, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say. And, and, and then even if we do go that far and we get the kind of the first question out there, let's talk and we go, what do you think about this? And we're like, I said it. I mean, I'm sweating, but I said it. I got this faith conversation. And they go, oh no. And you go, forget it, done. You know, Because right? parenting spiritually is hard. And this week, multiple times, Satan's gonna whisper to you, take the shortcut just drop them off at church. Just drop them off. Let Brett, the youth ministry handle it. They're the paid professionals. They they can answer the questions that you don't even, when you don't even know what the questions are. They're experts at this. And and we go, man, okay, 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 shortcut. It's not always about like, you know, what we grew up with, you know, in church, you know, yelling about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's It's not always that. It might be something that we're battling every day, being the spiritual disciple of our kids and Satan's going, just take the shortcut. So when we have those things, whether it's work or home or or whatever the temptation is that you're dealing with, Jesus gives us uh, some answers in his his response to Satan. He says this, go back. I love this. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Get out of here. Get away from me. And, and the first thing that we can do that we can take from this is, is we can set some boundaries up in our life. Jesus didn't invite Satan to the dinner party, right? Jesus wasn't like 40 days, God's about to provide. Hey, Satan, come pull a chair up. Let's hang out. And talk. No, Satan shows up. And that's, what the, that's what the tempter does. He, he shows up. Most of us aren't walking in going, hey, I'm going to over here because I'm gonna be tempted over here and I'm gonna have a chance to prove how spiritually strong I am. No, we're about going about our lives and, and Satan shows up. And Jesus, through these three brief conversations with him, has enough of them. He goes, get away from me. Separate yourself from me. Hey, there's this boundary. You're, you're over there. Get out of my presence. And, and there's, a, there's a spiritual principle here that we can, we can lean into when it comes to temptation. It's setting some boundaries up. It's knowing that we're not going to let Satan continue to have an impact in our lives. And for some of us, that means walking away from some relationships. It might mean changing jobs. It might mean doing something totally different so that we can, we can separate ourselves from temptation, temptation places. We can move ourselves out of the realm of people. I, I'll tell you this. If, if, if this could be guys too. I almost said ladies. Maybe ladies more than guys, but guys too. If you've got some friends That every time you get together, you find yourself gossiping. Here's the boundary. Stop getting together. That's hard. It's hard when your friends go, how come you don't want to go out to lunch anymore? You're not going to want to say, because you're a bunch of gossips, you know? You're not going to say, well, because Jesus said, "Get, get away from me, Satan. And you're kind of like that for me. I mean... If you say that, you won't have to worry about the lunch invitation the next time. So you might, but I mean, there's some, but that's hard for us. Please don't pretend like avoiding temptation's easy. It's difficult to say, hey, I'm gonna set some boundaries and I'm not going to cross those boundaries because when I cross those boundaries, there's danger. I mean, you, you, you communicate that to your teenagers all the time. It's not just a teenage truth. It's a, it's a life truth for us as well. There's a book that was written several years ago. It's called Over the Edge. And, and a guy documented all the deaths that happened at the Grand Canyon, which says that you can write a book about anything, pretty much. Um, over 700 people lost their lives in the Grand Canyon. And it's not, that's not you know, crazy to believe. You're talking about, it's like, I think 227 miles long. I mean, it's, it's huge, 18 miles, long, a mile down. And a lot of the deaths have been like airplane crashes, People have uh, been hiking and gotten lost and dehydrated. People have rafted and had rafting accidents. There's been people that have gone there to, to take their life. But some of the tragic ones are the ones like in 1992, this 38-year-old dad out there with his family and kids and he, his teenage daughter's there and they're taking pictures and he thinks it's going to be funny and, and jumps over the boundary because and, and, he knows there's a ledge right below the ledge they're standing on and falls off to scare his kids. And then stands up on the precipice that was right below. Ha ha, jokes, games, fun. And then it gives out beneath him. He lost his life. So easily avoidable. That's why the boundaries were there. Somebody had come along and said this, across this line, it is not safe any longer. And when we jumped the boundary, we put ourselves in danger. So talk about temptation and how do I, how do, I, how do, I do what God has called me to do, step in the life that God's called me to live without trying to take shortcuts, without trying to do it the world's way. You set some boundaries and you go, you know what? I know that there's danger on the other side of this. If you struggle with finances, that's a spiritual issue. Because God has given you resources. He's given you resources to do things for the kingdom. And if you find yourself in a lot of debt, you find yourself spending money more than God is allowing you to have, that's a spiritual problem. You may need to set some boundaries. You might do that by going to a cash only system. You might go, hey, no more credit cards. We're getting rid of them. If we don't have it, we can't spend it. You know I mean? That's a way you set up a boundary. You know, I, I use this illustration all the time unapologetic about it because in the world in which we live, pornography is one of the, one of the most spiritually uh, or, or dangerous or dangerous things to our spiritual life. And I tell people all the time on my work computer, home computer, iPad and phone, every piece of technology I have, I have uh, XXX Church's uh, safety stuff to keep me from going places because I know that I have to set some boundaries in my life. Because I know as an American male who God has made to be visually oriented, that that temptation will come. And so I've put the boundaries to go, God, I'm not crossing these boundaries and there's consequences. And I've set some up that I know there'll be major consequences because people will find out if I, if I go and do that. You got to set boundaries. So the question is what boundaries are in your life? You know, you know I could ask you right now, name me two or three ways that Satan tempts you. What, what are your two, three biggest weakness areas? You'd know them. It may may be something that is not as, you know, it may not seem that big. It may be gossip. It may be something like that. It may be uh, your temple, your body, taking care of it. And you're not doing it. And God's convicted you of that. And and what are your boundaries? What are you doing? Jesus drew one. He said, Satan, get away from me. Get out of my presence. I'm not walking near you. I'm not walking with you. I don't want to hear your voice, see your face, smell your cologne. I'm, I'm, I'm at get out. Here's the second thing, though, we see. Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Not just this time, but in temptation number one and temptation number two, Jesus says, for it is written. And so Jesus helps us understand that one of the ways you can battle temptation is to memorize scripture. That's what Jesus did. I mean, there, there's, there's no picture in here. Again, they didn't have a printing press, so it would have been scrolls. It's not like when Satan's talking and Jesus is like, well, hold on, I got some scrolls over here. Let's see, uh, De- De- Deuteronomy. That's when he, nope, that's the first half. You know, okay, uh, right here, Satan, here's where it's written. You know, three minutes. Jesus just knew the word. It was, it was in his mind. It was in his heart. Psalm 119, 11 says, I hide your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. I memorize scripture, the psalmist said, so that I will be able to avoid temptation. So we draw some boundaries. And again, talking about hard and easy, it is not easy to memorize scripture. We are old. Let's just own it. We're forgetting more things than we can remember already. You know, I, friends, I'm 39 and you know, I was saying something and you know, my friends goes, well, just wait till 40. You know, like at 40, apparently you just go stupid. I, that's why I, I don't know. I mean, that's what they're like making me feel like, you know, they're like, just July 20th, 2015, you're gonna wake up and like drool on yourself and not remember your kids names and things like, it's, it's harder now than it's ever been. Uh, my good friends, James and Angela Roberts here, they're our Polish missionaries. They've been in Poland now for several years and and they're learning this language. It's a memory thing. They've got two daughters. Guess who the best Polish speaker is in their family? Macy, the youngest one, right? Yeah, I mean like, like, if I'm in Poland with them and I've gotta go someplace important and they're like, hey, we'll interpret with you. I mean, we're like, just send Macy with us. You know what, she ate now? Yeah, and so she's been there for four years. So she got there and she so, you know, it's like, I'm like, y'all can stay. Let me just take the eight-year-old. I'll go around the country of Poland with this eight-year-old because she knows it because she's young Her brains like, our brains like falling apart. And you know so scripture memory is hard, but it doesn't mean that we can't do it. It's one of the spiritual disciplines we talked about in the hashtag basic series. Scripture memory helps us that when temptation comes, man, the the spirit of God just grabs something and puts it in our mind and goes, no, no. Because here's why, here's the third thing. We practice the discipline of worship. That's the scripture Jesus quotes. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, the center of temptation is self-elevation. That's what it is. Temptation is self-elevation doing things the shortcut, doing things the easy way. It's all about elevating self. It's about, I don't wanna do this God's way because God's way is hard and God, your way is about you and it's more difficult for me, but my way is easy. My way uh, makes me succeed faster or better. It makes me feel good. And what we do is basically we're saying, God, I'm moving you off the throne. You're not boss, I am. It's self elevation is what giving and temptation is, that's sin. Saying, and, and so when we lean into worship the Lord, your God and him only and serve him. And one of the ways we serve God is by serving people. That's what God's called us to do, to be Jesus Christ to our community. That's loving God and loving people. That's what we're called to do. Probably heard that somewhere around. It's our vision statement. Worshiping God. When we, the more we step into worshiping God, serving him, serving people, we leave him on the throne. We take ourselves off. We grow intimately deep in relationship with him. And the more intimately deep in relationship we grow with God, the more we begin to connect with him, the more we begin to think like him, the more we're transformed in the likeness of Jesus, which the theologians, the seminary professors call sanctification. It's what we're called to do, to be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. And we do that by worshiping God and serving him alone. And the more we become like Jesus, the less power temptation has over us. Was Jesus tempted? Absolutely. Did he feel it like you and I did? Absolutely. The scripture's clear on that. But he had some tools. He had some things that he had done, some, some journeys that he walked in, some decisions that he had resolutely made beforehand that allowed him to avoid temptation. Now, we've been talking about it for four weeks. If, if you've missed some, you can go back and get them on iTunes. They're, on, they're up on iTunes. You can get them from the Youth Ministry website. Talk, so what do we do? There's the guy. I'm forgetting his name. Out to look. I wrote me some notes. Um, Craig Chicos. <laughs> Craig Childs. I can't read my own writing. Whose <laughs> name would be Craig Chicos? <laughs> Craig Childs. <laughs> I think we're going to record on Wednesday rather than Sunday, just to avoid Craig Chicos on the uh, on the <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> Craig Childs is this researcher. Reading his story. He's out in, in the uh, in, in Arizona. And as he's doing research, as an environmentalist, he's on on foot, he's not in a car, and as he's coming up to this uh, watering hole, there's a mountain lion at the watering hole. And he sees it and he steps back because he doesn't want to engage mountain lion, he's got no vehicle, not a good place, and he's he's wise. Mountain lion doesn't even know he's there, mountain lion drinks water, mountain lion walks back into the bush. Waits a little bit and he goes out and he's studying tracks around the water, watering hole. And before he does, he does, before he bends down to start studying tracks, he does what he always does. And he kind of scans around, making a safety check. And next to a bunch of juniper trees, he sees this mountain lion crouched watching him. And the mountain lion, they make eye contact and the mountain lion starts walking towards him. He's all by himself out there. He pulls out his knife and, and he says, I know what to do. I know that your instinct is to turn around and run. That's what most of us do, but that's the last thing you want to do because a mountain lion has the ability to take down prey that's six, seven, eight times bigger than it is because the mountain lion knows that it, it leaps from behind, mountain lions attack from behind and they clamp down on the back of the skull and snap the spine of, the, of whatever their prey is and leave it paralyzed. He says the last thing you want to do, even though everything's in you saying, turn around, around the last thing you want to do is turn your back on this mountain lion. So he has this knife and the mountain lion's walking towards him. They're doing this dance together. Mountain lion's 30 feet from him and it's going to the left and he's turning with it and it's stalking back to the right. It's trying to, you know, get him to run, turn around. And he said, the mountain lion gets within 10 feet of him. And all he's got is this knife. He's staring him down. and The mountain lion turns and walks away when it realizes it's not gonna be able to get behind him. He avoided tragedy because he understood how the mountain lion worked. He understood his nature. We spent four weeks unpacking how Satan tempts, what the lion does to try to destroy us. We've tried to talk about tools. What do we do? What are some application things? Here's why and here's how. This may be a series more than any other that you wanna go back and review. And listen to some of the things and go back to the scripture of Matthew 4 and walk through these temptations. Because when you understand how the tempter works and you understand how to be successful in temptation, you open yourself up to live the life that God has called you and created you to live. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing better than that. And Satan knows it. And that's why he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does that through temptation because he wants to ruin you. But you've been equipped. You know what to do. The next step is for us to leave here, gather our families around us and talk through it and then go do it together. You model it, you lead it. Let your teenagers follow behind you so that one day they can model it and lead it for your grandchildren. And you have a family legacy of people who are obediently falling in love with Jesus more and more every day and walking with Him, and avoiding temptation and the snares of the devil. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want got the tools. Let's go do it. Let's pray. God.